this is Connected episode 18. Today the show is brought to you by lynda.com where you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by industry experts. For a 10-day free trial, visit lynda.com slash connected. Dev Mountain, a world-class coding school in the mountains of Utah. And PDF Pen Scan Plus from Smile, the app for mobile scanning and OCR. My name is Mike Hurley and I am joined by Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hi, Stephen. Hello, Michael. And Mr. Federico Vitici. Hi, Federico. Ciao, Mike. Ciao, Federico. How are you doing? I am very well. How are you, fine gentlemen, on this I'm uh, doing, evening? Doing well. Thank you. I'm doing extremely well on this evening. And hello to you as well, Mr. Stephen Hackett from uh, Tennessee. Hello. Is that where you're from? <laughs> is that really Tennessee? Yeah, where you're from? I live. Yeah. Uh, it is. It's the state. See? Yeah. I know the American states. That's it's good. Yeah. How yeah, many I... can you name, Federico? So many. Yeah. Many of them. Yeah. <laughs> all of them. All of the states. All how the many great sta- states. How many states are there? Uh, 52. 50, right? 50. 50. Just 50, 50, so 51. this Let's is say a, 51. Yeah, I mean, Puerto Rico is almost a state. <clears throat> I know, email right? Mike, email Mike about that. Uh, so the thing, the thing is, like, I have felt guilty about this before, and maybe we've talked about it, but like, you guys, at least, being the very small sample of my international friends, are like relatively acquainted with America, like geography, like like sort of regional humor. And now maybe that's colored by the fact that you know me, but like I feel like overall, people who don't live in America know more about America than like Americans know about other countries. Like oh, I, I don't know, know I don't know the like intricacies of like. If you live in certain parts of of England, you have this accent, or your you know these stereotypes apply to you. I uh, I feel bad about it. I feel like I should know your stereotypes better. All I know about America is from House of Cards and other TV shows. Well, it's a documentary, and, basically. Yeah, and you, also. Yeah, ha- have you watched the uh, West Wing? It's on Netflix. It's good. No, if you like like political drama, the West Wing is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I don't have Netflix. Oh yeah. Well, you can move but- to Mike's house and watch it. Or I can keep using basically Netflix. I managed to sign up with a with a free trial once uh, using a VPN. And what I'm doing now is that basically Netflix, every two or three months, they send me an email uh, saying, hey, do you want to try Netflix again? So every time they send me this email, I use the free link, like a freeloader basically, to watch House of Cards. So I'm like expecting it. to get another email in February. This yeah. is like this is like um, when I had all that Dropbox space. <laughs> yes, but only I have an excuse because I don't, I cannot legally access Netflix in Italy. I had an excuse. No. Yeah, you bought an Android phone that came with Dropbox space. As my excuse. So anyway, what? I yeah. just used the free trial, just over and over. Yes, I like it because they they, like they, they they send me this really heartfelt email saying that they miss me and that they want me to try Netflix again. I'm like, okay, whatever, just. Streaming House of Cards, yeah. It comes back in February. Every now and then I get a letter from Amazon, and the letter is to encourage me to tell people to try out Amazon Prime, and they give me two little plastic cards, like credit cards, that just have a URL on them, which Mm -hmm. is just like amazon.com slash prime slash free trial, and they want Mm -hmm. me to give those to people. And you just use them. No, I mean, I'm already a Prime subscriber. And it's all they want me to do is just get other people to sign up for a free trial. I don't get anything for it. Like it's not like if you sign up, I'll get like a extra month. Like they're yeah. just little cards that have the generic URL on them that they want me to give out. 
yeah. Did I you just, talk uh, about so, Amazon in real life, Mike? I love Amazon. I love Prime. Prime changed my life. Yeah, I, really? like I just I just renewed my Prime this week. Actually, it's good. Mm-hmm. It's good. Although I don't, I didn't get an email about it. It's like, oh, hundred bucks is out of my account. Thanks, Amazon. Yeah, don't worry about things like that. No, it's money's a construct, anyways. Money is. Speaking, so, uh, guys. Speaking of life changing events, um, <laughs> we are changing the lives of uh, people who love technology around the world by rediscovering old web browsers. <laughs> and I know, Stephen, that this week we got uh, at least two more entries in our list of uh, uh, unusual browsers accessing our website. We did. Uh, the Relay website does not hold up very well on the web TV viewer. <laughs> what is a web TV it viewer? It ships. I don't, I don't really know. I tried looking it up, but those are sort of generic terms. Maybe someone in the chat room can help us out. But the, the UI has Sony's logo all over it. So either... It's been hacked or it's some sort of Sony TV product. Um, but the ATP site, which is built on Squarespace, shows up actually pretty well. Uh, our site doesn't render at all. But I mean, that's interesting. Uh, so that was from uh, Jimmy on Twitter. And we have another one from David Ragsdale on Twitter who loaded it up in the uh, Kindle Paperwhite experimental browser, mm. which might be mm. the worst browser that currently ships in the world. Well, however... Our website looks pretty good on it. Yeah, well, your voice really got high there. I'm really excited. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So what is a a Kindle experimental browser? Is this uh, the thing that flies with the drone? Yes, no, it's uh, Kindle's, uh, eating Kindle's forever have come with a browser built in. I don't even know what it's based on. I guess probably some fork of WebKit. But uh, you can like... If you're connected to Wi-Fi, if you have a 3G Kindle, you can browse the internet, albeit very slowly and in grayscale, on your Kindle. It's the worst thing. Like you, you never want to be in a situation where like I need to look up something. Let me pull out my Kindle. But uh, the site loads, and uh, so thank you to David for being patient enough to to let that load. He also did it at 8:44 a.m., which is good job doing that first thing in the morning. But, so. Uh, are you what guys... if we stayed up all night to get yeah, the maybe. browser to work? Yeah. So, talking about e-ink, uh, are you guys familiar with the Yota phone? Oh, God. I'm I tried ignoring it. Like the double phone? Yeah, it's the one that's an Android phone, and it's got like a regular Android screen on the front and an e-ink screen on the back. Guess yeah, who loves like a... it, Federico? Guess between me and Mike, who of us loves it? Between you it's and Mike? Mike, Mike. Mike. yeah. Oh, it's I like the phone it. with the, the, the with the future in the front and the the, the business in the back. <laughs> so they've got they've got a uh, uh, in, in an area where I I frequent these days. Uh, they have a in London. They have a like a concept what does that store. Mean? It's just it's where, where, it's where my co working space is. Okay, it's where I go to co work. Okay, it's there it is around that area. Mm. Um, they have set up a store and they have these things now. And I went in and played around with one, and I was very, very impressed with it. Like, so they they have like the the Android touchscreen and the regular screen on the front and on the back. They have like some set apps that they have. Like they have like an RSS reader and news reader, some games which use the ink screen. Uh, they have like a separate like home screen thing which is really pared down. And there's like a toggle that you can do to switch off the front screen completely. And it shows you, it said I had like nine hours battery life. And then when I turned it off to just be the e-ink screen, so four days. Uh, But you can access the entire Android OS via the e-ink screen. And it wasn't that bad. 
that's a that's a really solid really recommendation high no but like if Mike. you think right if you've got like an hour of battery life you turn it on you could last for like another six hours and you can still kind of do everything can you make phone calls yeah you can do everything and it'll last four days yeah that's what that's what the indicator said e-ink is uh crazy good for battery life I mean, that's yeah. what the pebble uses mm-hmm. um i was i was really i was really impressed with it, it but it's really expensive well, it's not really expensive. It's five hundred and fifty-five pounds. I mean, that's like unlocked phone expensive, but it's more money than I want to spend. But if I was gonna buy an Android phone, like if that was my thing, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, this is the phone that I would get right now. Like, it's that's really because it's interesting enough that it's actually does something that's useful. Like I can see some real uses. Like Federico, imagine you're reading a long article that you found on Mac Stories. You could just flip it over and just start reading. Reading on e-ink anyway, which is nicer, no, right? I don't, I don't read Apple websites. Okay, and there, there was this other example that the the salesperson guy gave me, which I thought was quite cool. Like, say you get an email with like you're in the airport. I always go back to the airport, and it's got like a QR code on it or whatever for your boarding pass. Mm-hmm. You could just take a like a screenshot of that, and you can just lay it on the e-ink screen, and it's just there, and then you can just kind of do what you need to do with it. I can see that it's one of those things that when you use it, you'd find uses for it. I, I think mm-hmm. that it's it feels like when I first saw it, I was like, it's interesting, but it seems like a gimmick. But I feel like there are some actual real-world uses for something So like you this. you don't think this is like the... Do you guys remember that super weird and corny kind of presentation from um, ASUS uh, for the pad phone, which was like a device oh, that... Dub- yeah. And there was like the guy pulling out uh, this phone from his jacket and it's like, this is magical. It was like super weird and strange. Uh, And it was like this kind of double device that was like a phone that you could put into a tablet. Yeah, dude, it's coming back. They have a new version, the Padphone X. There's a a new Padphone? Yeah. Yeah, the Padphone (laughs) X or 10, I guess, coming to AT&T on October 24th. Got an 8.5 out of 10 on Engadget, so... Must be good. You, you make sure to find the the old uh, presentation video because it was like one of my favorite. Uh, I think it was a CES. If it was CES, that definitely one of the best CES conferences that I ever watched. Uh, it was really magical. Yeah, it's pretty. So, good. Mike, you're saying that this is uh, actually pretty good. I was very impressed with it. Hmm. Genuinely, I've got. So we some... know we know what we can get you for Christmas, Mike. Yeah, you can yeah. get me that. Done. I've got some follow up on what Web TV was. There's a uh, a link in the show notes. Uh, it was MSN TV was a television thin client that well, came out. I don't know, like the early or the late '90s, or early 2000s, and it, the service was cut off in January of this year. I don't know a single sad. word of what you said. Exactly. There's a link in the show notes, Michael. Where could the show notes be found? So I was really impressed, as were many people, with Federico's uh, Italian interpretation of the show notes last week. So I've decided that I would like to give a very British uh, kind of old-timey presentation mm-hmm. of the show this week. Are you guys ready for this? I'm prepared. Okay. <clears throat> Go on. Verily, if one would like to happen upon thy showeth notes, one should navigate oneself to thy browser of thine web and pontificate upon the URF relay full stop <laughs> FM forward slash connected forward slash 18. Here you will happen upon a selection of the very finest links one could ever wish to peruse. Wow. Wow. That sounds like um like when you're playing video games and they're like 
they're like medieval video games with kings and queens. That's like what they talked about. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. how we get, that's how we get taught English when we grow up. It's good. I stood up like halfway through it. I just felt like I had to. So next week, it's Stephen, like, it's your turn. <laughs> it's going to be good. You've got to American those show notes up. It's, wow. <clears throat> please, don't, please don't read the show notes while you're shooting a gun. Too Steve. late, bro. <laughs> or, or as many people as many people indicated to me over this week, uh, not American English simplified. Yes. Yeah, that <laughs> screenshots a hundred years old. Yeah. So we have some follow up around panics, transmit, and draft widgets, and other things. Federico, what is happening in Cupertino? Well, we don't know what's happening in Cupertino. What we see on the App Store is that Apple has reversed uh, these uh, three major rejections for widgets and one iCloud feature on the App Store. So uh, the first uh, popular rejection was the Peacock widget uh, that's uh, that's been reversed uh, the following day. Then there was the Transmit case with uh, the, the Panic app to an FTP client and file manager, uh, Apple forced Panic to remove um, an iCl- a feature to share any file to iCloud Drive, and the press, including Mac Stories, uh, made a big deal out of this removal, um, and the feature was reinstated. And now uh, the latest app to go through a similar process has been uh, Greg Pierce's drafts, uh, excellent note-taking app for iOS. Um, the app came with a widget that lets you um, create a new draft, just an empty note, or create a new note with the contents of your clipboard. And Apple forced uh, Greg to remove the widget because he couldn't um, ship with buttons to open the app. Um, now the widget is back, and it's actually even better than before because it's got uh, it's got buttons, plenty of them actually, and it also lets you open... Um, uh, recent notes in the app so it's got plenty of functionality now and it looks like Apple is now okay with these sort of widgets Uh, it it didn't really make sense to to remove these widgets from the App Store there are dozens of apps at this point that can use uh, buttons and and other you know there are basically direct links to specific sections of an app to perform tasks from Notification Center it didn't make any sense I'm glad that Drafts is the latest example of a of a questionable rejection that didn't really make sense, and now it's been it's been rectified. Uh, so I'm happy, and uh, I, I actually think the widget is better now. So that's uh, that's good news. But what's hap- yeah. like? What have we got? What is the situation? Like, are we don't people know. allowed to do these things? Yes, uh, um, maybe. I mean, Evernote. You know, there was some talk this week on Twitter about. Evernote's widget has a bunch of buttons. We we spoke about it last week, and they had an update yesterday as well that you know that remained in place. And so it seems like either they're going to allow it, or you know you have to remember like these examples are high profile applications. They're not you know I mean there there could be other apps that people just don't know about dealing with this. But I I kind of. My my gut says that they're going to let it let it fly, and and I wonder, uh, you know, I don't know how big the App Store review team is. I got a, an email from somebody this week, you know, saying like, well, you know, is that app review team even in Cupertino? Are they part of like corporate Apple? You know, parts of like the iTunes Store are outsourced. You know how how close how close to the you know 
how behind the veil are these reviewers, and do they have somebody in there, you know, their manager or just even one or two reviewers who like this problem all stems from a very small group of people. So it, it's hard to tell. I'm hoping that it calms down, obviously, because this is great functionality. It makes you know widgets actually useful. So hopefully, it's a chapter that's you know closed. Yeah, I I don't think that um, widgets like Launcher, uh, it was uh, which was an app and a widget to basically simulate a home screen in the today view or not of notification center. I don't think that that kind of widgets are coming back. Uh, because Apple doesn't like them, you know, the, just the simulating a home screen in your today view. Uh, but I think the widgets that can launch apps, of course, and then can launch specific se- sections inside an app or perform a task, such as creating a new draft with the contents of your clipboard, I think those are okay. And I think even if Apple uh, maybe uh, wanted widgets to be simpler, I think they have now realized that by rejecting this sort of functionality, by trying to set an example, they're just upsetting um, the kind of audience that also happens to write about them. Because Mm -hmm. like iOS 8 is the kind of uh, geeky, you know, update uh, that is is used by, and I'm not uh, referring to myself in any way. I'm just trying to think of all the other people who uh, write Apple blogs. Uh, generally, those people are kind of power users. So when you take away functionality from power users, they usually complain. But in this case, they also write websites and blogs, so they can make a bigger deal than maybe in the past few years for other kinds of features that Apple didn't want. So I think in this case, they kind of they just need to let it pass and accept the fact that widgets are can do this sort of stuff, you know. And maybe this will be reflected next year in a in a major changes in the way that, that Apple is doing widgets. Just at this point, why not do more, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a really good point. And iOS on the whole, you know, these these new features in iOS 8 especially, like they're not as mainstream as say copy and paste was in iPhone OS 3. Like it's they're getting as as iOS becomes more mature, when they add things, those things are in the in and of themselves more mature features. Like there's no, to to use a term uh, that's been thrown around in the past, there's no real low hanging fruit left on iOS. I mean, there's there's obviously a lot of things we would like, right? But again, we're the power users. the The average person on the street with an iPhone, like it does what people need it to do. Like yes, you can find people who would want certain things, but on the whole, I think Apple, as iOS matures, like this is going to be an issue because they're they're pushing the bar, you know, they're making it more powerful, they're making it more flexible than it's ever been before. And clearly app review or some f- faction within Apple like hasn't quite caught up to that yet. And and hopefully it's that's not, you know, an ongoing problem. Well, reliability is the new low-hanging fruit. <laughs> Sick burn, bro. Yeah. No, I mean, just, you know, people at this point, people know that there are problems sometimes on iOS, especially when it launches. They created this new idea that when the new major version of iOS launches, you got to ask your friends whether it's okay to upgrade. Because everybody has the geeky friend, right? Everybody has the computer tech-savvy friend. And they always ask, hey, I saw there's an update. Is it safe? Yeah, I get you know, that. And the, 
there was always there was always that kind of component to um, releasing software updates, but in the past two years, uh, especially after Apple Maps, I think it was the like like the turning point for this kind of behavior. Um, friends always ask, "Should I do the update?" Like all every time I see them, they ask about updates because now there's an update for everything all the time. You know, everything is a software update these days. <laughs> Unless it's a Mac app. They all... <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> That's really sad. I'm sorry for you, buddy. Um, <laughs> but yes, my friends always ask me about uh, software updates. And next year, if they focus on... Like, if they come out and say, look, this year we just made iOS twice as fast and we give you twice the battery life, people will just go crazy. I mean, maybe uh, we would go, like, maybe we would go crazy. Yeah. You know, we'll go here, but where's the new <laughs> SDK stuff? Right. That, I mean, that's what know? I'm saying. Like, like I would love my iPhone to last two days, but like Apple, I mean, we've talked about this with OS 10, like with an annual release cycle, they've got to put stuff out every year. And by the time iOS 8 is sort of like done being patched up, you know, they're on to iOS 9 or whatever's next. And it's, it's a pace that's worrisome. And, and this sort of thing where, you know, the, the SDK and the features and the APIs pull ahead and it's got to like, by the time Apple, like the rest of Apple gets yanked along up to this current state, then like the SDK and APIs and everything are already further ahead. And it's, it's kind of, it takes some time for everyone to get on the same page. And by the time they are, there's a, you know, a new page being written at, at WWDC, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll I think, I guess we, we will talk about, uh, the features that we want to see in iOS 9 and kind of the stuff that we think is still missing uh, maybe next year. But in general, I think that iOS is, is at the point where uh, the simple things are the most appreciated ones. So speed and reliability, you know, efficiency in general, just being able to use an app without crashing and without having to restart an iPhone every couple of days to, you know, to speed things up. Uh, that would be awesome, <laughs> just in general. It's true. This episode of Connected is brought to you by Lynda.com, an easy and affordable way to help individuals and organizations learn. With Lynda.com, you have access to a growing library of incredible videos. These videos are beautiful high-quality, well-produced tutorials that can help you learn something new. This library consists of hundreds of thousands of these videos, and they're all about helping you learn cool new things. With lynda.com, they can help you turn an idea into a hobby, a hobby into a business. They can help you learn something new that you've always wanted to know or perfect something that you're already proficient at. Lynda.com can help you expand your skills into new areas. They work directly with people who are experts in their field. Like, for example, they have courses on Illustrator and Photoshop with the people that actually work at Adobe teaching the courses, right? So they have the people that know what they're talking about. These courses are broken down into bite-sized chunks. They allow you to jump in and out at your own pace. Then they make it very easy for you to build a course structure that's tailored to you. They have... Uh, course completion certificates that you can attach to your LinkedIn profile too so you can show everybody in your professional network the new things that you're learning. It's pretty good. I mean, if you're working in a corporate environment or you're working in an environment where that sort of stuff is wanted or maybe your employer has got a lynda.com 
a subscription for you or you want to tell them to get you one, this could be a good reason for that. You can show to everyone what you're learning. They have great apps for the iPhone, the iPad, and Android. So this means, you know, you can watch Linda videos when you're on the bus. You can watch them with a second screen at home while you're working along, you know. So you're watching maybe a, a course on motion graphics and you want to copy what the other person's doing on on your Mac, you can do that. You get unlimited access to Linda's courses for just $25 a month. This includes everything on like, say like for example, project management skills. This is some courses that I found recently on Linda. You can learn how to effectively use software like Basecamp and Asana, but you can also get the grips of how to work with virtual teams and effectively manage budgets. Everybody needs Excel in their lives. You can learn how to harness its power with lynda.com. Create pivot tables of ease. Everyone wants to create pivot tables and lynda.com can help you do that. If for some reason you haven't yet tried out Lynda, now is the time as we have a special extended 10-day free trial for listeners of Connected. Go to lynda.com slash connected. That's L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash connected to sign up right now and you'll be able to try out lynda.com for free for 10 days. Thank you so much to Linda for their continued support of Connected and Relay FM. So topic zero this week is a topic we haven't really ever talked about before, but there are apps that you can use to manage your photos. Really? Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, can you move the photos around? Yeah, you can put them on the cloud. Wow. And then the cloud sometimes goes out of business. Like, what, can I, can I like... Take the photos from my from my hard disk and and put them on the on the on the web. <laughs> I love that you said hard disk. So, uh, Carousel is an app that we've covered before, built by our friends at Dropbox. And Carousel started life as basically an auto uploader for your iOS or Android device. So you have pictures in your camera roll. Carousel uploads them to Dropbox automatically, and those of us who use Dropbox or either for photo management and storage or just as a gateway to the Mac or, or your desktop computer. It's really great, right? You don't have to use image capture. You don't have to plug it in. It just, it just syncs up. You don't have to deal with photo stream. Well, you got to hand to Dropbox. I, I'm really have been impressed at the rate that they've been adding things to Carousel. And so uh, this morning or yesterday sometime, um, the Carousel app got a nice update. We have a link in the show notes that I'm now realizing is like a week old because it's about the Android app, so we'll fix that. But a couple really nice things have come to the iOS device. So Carousel, one of its main UI features was you could scroll back in time, so you could like have this little like slider and like slide back to like 2012 and look at pictures. Um, but they've sort of beefed that up with the, with the ability to. They'll send a like a push notification for a flashback, which is very similar to um, which service don't, was it don't, that had? Don't say, don't say, don't say. We'll, we'll just the, be sad. Uh, okay, so one of the uh, dead photo management systems that I, I think it was, <laughs> I think it's dead. They're all dead. It is okay, the one you, that you, died. It's the one that we all loved, and then it died. Yeah, the photo management service that shall not be named uh, had nice. this feature, so you could very ever yes. Peaks. No, don't say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Steve. Had, it had this feature. It made it very easy to see photos in your library from previous years. And so now uh, Carousel does that. So I was playing with it this morning, and apparently, like 10 years ago today, I had pictures taken, like, just like me and my college roommate in our dorm. So it was kind of fun to be like, oh man, that was 10 years ago. What happened? Uh, how did I get old? It's all built in now, which is really nice. And, and that feature obviously works if you have all your photos in Dropbox and Carousel knows about them. Um, but it also has a, a feature which is a little, I think, more mainstream, 
where it can uh, clean up space on your phone. And I, I don't know about you guys. I don't know if you have played with this, but it's a little confusing as to what it's doing, when it's doing it. Um, so I went in and I had some, some things on my camera roll and I said, hey, there's some space we can clean up. I hit the button and then like something happened. I don't know what happened. Um, but what I really want is a switch to be like, once Carousel has uploaded this image, take it off my camera roll because I, I keep my camera roll basically empty and, and right now I've got to plug it into my Mac and blow it away in image capture so I don't have to delete them one at a time. I tap on them all in iOS. So let me understand. Carousel can delete photos from, from, the, from the Photos app, but they go into a recently deleted album? Right? Uh, yes. Yeah, and then you, yes. And then you got to delete um, all the photos from the recently deleted album, otherwise they get uh, wiped from the device after 30 days. I believe so. Again, like that's a, that's we should know this. Yeah, that's an iOS. That's an iOS thing because I'm I'm trying all these new apps to to delete screenshots. Right, uh, there's one mm-hmm. called Screeny and another called Sharky. Um, and basically, yes, it's called Sharky. Um, Where's George? <laughs> so oh, basically, man. when you when you delete uh, the screenshots, they go into a recently deleted uh, album on your device. And if you want to just erase them from memory, you gotta um, hit, uh, hit a button and say, just delete them all right now. Um, I haven't tried Carousel, like I only, I only downloaded the app again and used it for like two minutes. Um, I didn't see the option to delete photos from the camera roll. Um, but I, I, I guess that I mean, I, I'm kind of interested in trying uh, Carousel again because of the flashback. Um, but I also am um, fine with iCloud Photo Library. Uh, I, I went on a bit of a, of a quest a couple of weeks ago. I <laughs> managed to download all the photos that I have, like everywhere. Um, it's a little more than 3,000 pictures. And I put them all into, into iCloud Photo Library because I upgraded, I upgraded to, to the paid plan. It's uh, 99 cents uh, each month. And I'm, I'm fine, you know? Uh, there's some minor issues uh, occasionally, like you don't see the thumbnails in the, in the Photos app. You got to restart the app. But overall, mm-hmm. all my photos, you know, sync across devices and it's fine. Uh, but I think uh, Dropbox is doing some cool stuff with Carousel. Now, I'm not sure about this option to delete photos and also the, the way that they word it, like free up space on your device. Yeah, it's, well, it's, that's not, it's weird. That's not really true because you cannot really delete the photos. You got to <laughs> still make sure that the photos are right. deleted, you know? But that's an iOS 8 limitation, I think. Uh, I, it is I think nice. The, the, flashback, it, yeah. the flashback is really nice. You know, but but when I opened it this morning, it wasn't really like a never pics like flashback. That was like pictures taken on this exact day. It was like pictures from around the same period a while back. So, I mean, I think the free space verbiage is like it's just trying to like that's what people think, right? Like, oh, I need to like have free space on my phone. And like delete is a scary like word to put into an application. So maybe they're just trying to like coupled with the limitation, they can't really do what I want them to do. So they're just trying to soften that language somehow. But I think, like, I think overall, I mean, Dropbox uh, with Carousel being like the front lines is very clearly trying to become like a photo management solution built on top of their sync engine. You know, on um, 
OS 10, you can have it automatically suck in screenshots. You can actually, the Dropbox app on, on the Mac will take your iPhoto library contents and like upload them to, to Dropbox. And they're really making a play. Like not, not only like, can you sync your PowerPoint documents with Dropboxes, like you can use it, you know, like, like I do still like just for photo storage and for, you know, having my photos always accessible to me. I'm really at this point, like not like I will play with iCloud photos when photos.app shows up for, for the Mac, but I'm really not um, like, I'm not like yearning for iCloud photos to sort of come out of beta and be available everywhere. Um, it's not, uh, not super like anxious to change up my system right now. Yeah. As it stands, I'm, I'm fine with Dropbox. Like it's, I don't, I don't ever peruse the photos that are in Dropbox. Like I just know that they're there, but I don't do anything yeah. with them. That's, that's a great point because since I started using iCloud for the library, I'm going through my old photos more because they're just there. And, and I love going through old photos. Like it's one of the, the things that I love doing the most when I'm not doing um, Mac story stuff on my, on my iPad or my iPhone, just going through old photos, you know, remembering people, remembering stuff. And because I have all the photos there, I'm looking at my photos more and I feel like I, I make better use of my memories because I can easily access them. Whereas before it was always, you know, I got to make sure that I open this folder. I got to try a specific app. And now they're just there. And I'm, I think I'm happier, you know, because I, it's easier. I, I guess it, you could say the same thing for music. Uh, and people like Steven who just don't use Spotify and other Beats Music or streaming services, they just want their music. Um, for me, I think that my photos are more valuable, I guess, for me than songs. And I kind of see Steven's point about music. I kind of see a reflection of that in photos. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's a great point, Mike. Thank you for saying that. So uh, we got a little more photo topics. So Federico, basically your system exploded uh -huh, yeah. right for yeah. for crunching images for your website yeah you were right when you said <laughs> it was a really uh, uh what, what, what's the word that you used uh to describe that kind of workflow uh, uh fragile <laughs> I yes think is what i said yes yeah that was uh, an understatement give um, people a refresher of what of what you're talking about so a couple of episodes ago i was working on my what was that the the Twitter article, yes. And I was putting together screenshots because I was reaching the end of my writing session. And so I thought that because I was testing this app that allowed me to, let's say, automate um, the system share sheet and kind of to connect multiple share sheets and the document picker. So I thought that I could create a workflow to take a screenshot, uh, put it in Dropbox, through the native document picker. And then on my Mac mini server, which is hosted at Mac mini Colo, I could um, open the file in ImageOptim, which is this uh, image optimization app for the Mac, which removes a lot of extra information from uh, image files, and it makes them smaller without uh, visibly uh, ugly <laughs> loss in terms of quality. So they're smaller, they save you bandwidth on the CDN, and they don't look terrible. 
Uh, and I thought that the Mac Mini could, uh, using Hazel, could... Uh, so I'm just adding layers and layers of complication <laughs> here. The Mac Mini using Hazel could look for the image file in Dropbox, run image optim, put it back into Dropbox, and then back on my iPad, I would open the document picker again, find the optimized image file, download it, and use the share sheet again to upload it and get a link. <laughs> So uh, that was quite. I a love few you so steps. much for trying. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot. You gotta, of... you gotta, you gotta, you gotta give me credit for my commitment to my idea, right? I mean, oh I, yeah, I, I really tried to make it work. Uh, it's <laughs> just that I then, <laughs> I then realized that uh, basically the entire thing was broken. <laughs> <laughs> no image was being optimized and I, <laughs> I just, I just you're like waiting just, there for it to come back and it's just no actually, um, actually oh you I just was, thought it was done no I was putting together my article right and thank god I got the I like I, I started being skeptical I was like are my images really optimized? Because the preview uh, for the for the article in in the in editorial, when you switch to the preview, it took uh, like seconds to load. And usually, when I, when I have optimized images, they don't take all those seconds to load. Um, so I, I I started wondering, are my images really smaller? And so I downloaded all the already uploaded images, which were like. <laughs> Only 10 <laughs> files, fortunately, yeah. out of like 50. Um, only 10 files, I downloaded them and they were full quality. And so I, I ran my workflow again, uh, this time while being logged into my Mac Mini uh, via screens, the, the, the VNC client, uh, mm -hmm. to see the process happening. And of course, Image Optim was launching and then closing after a fraction of a second without <laughs> even touching the file. <laughs> was <laughs> just there bouncing in the dark. And so, <laughs> yes, it was terrific workflow. That's really... Yeah, actually, you know what? I think that by uh, doing all the... By doing all the upload, download the image and then using Pythonista to uh, open the file, I think I was making the, the image bigger. <laughs> <laughs> by, by doing... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. Basically, I spent like an afternoon being upset, uh, yeah. and then I, uh. I just decided that for for once I needed to use my Mac. I didn't really wanted to go through my screenshots on my Mac, um, mm -hmm. primarily because I was upset. So out of principle, uh, but then my the the practical uh, the practical version of myself uh, thought that, that you know. 50 image files, I probably want to optimize them. So I ran the image optim locally. And now I'm basically left with no solution because there's no image optim for iOS. I know that there's an app called Reduce. I know that there's the other app called OneEdit that, uh, that can save multiple images from PNG to JPEG. But still, it's no replacement for image optim. There's no image optim on iOS. I'm really sad about this. Like, not physically sad, but just like conceptually sad, um, if that's a thing. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know what the solution is. I'm kind of hoping that maybe in the future workflow, uh, the guys that make this awesome new app uh, will uh, try to find a way to bring image optim to iOS. I know that Image Optim is actually based on a bunch of open source uh, libraries to do various types of JPEG optimization. Um, I, um, like, I don't remember the names, but if you go to the website, you can see the names of all the, the technologies that they use. 
I don't know, guys, because uh, there's no solution for me. I know that I could. There's a version of Image Optim called um, Image Optim uh, CLI that you can run from the terminal, uh, but it's a, it's not a like an official download. You gotta do some stuff with Ruby. You gotta you know download the, the Ruby gems. I don't know. What Teach it sounds about. like there could be a much easier way to do this. Oh yeah, yeah. pay more in CDN. <laughs> That's the much easier <laughs> no, way. Stephen, how do you do it? I use the Mac. Actually, I don't really crunch. I don't have that many images, so I usually don't bother with it. But right, uh, I would. Yeah. I, I do enjoy the fact that Federico basically Benjamin buttoned his images, which is sort <laughs> of uh, hilarious. I mean, I mean, Federico, is it? Would it be like the like the worst thing if you had to? If you were, if you only had your iPad and you didn't mm-hmm. have your Mac, to like Dropbox them over to your Mac Mini, and then use screens on the iPad, like do it on the Mac itself, and then let them sync back, like to, yeah, but that's slow, right? I, I mean, I get it, but yeah, I guess pretty, that that could great. be a yeah, especially because the Mac Mini is really fast at uploading to Dropbox because of the crazy Mac Mini color speeds. Like it yeah. takes a second to download like an image that's two megabytes uh yeah i guess i could do that you know uh i I will probably start doing that or maybe uh i'll just hire someone to write me because the thing is that rackspace uh which is the cdn that i use cloud files they do have a python uh library that's like a new one it's called pyrax um I just don't know how to install it on my Mac. I don't have the time. Uh, it doesn't support Pythonista because ideally, I would just use the Rackspace API uh, with Pythonista and it'll be perfect because I will have native uploads. Uh, but no, but still, in that case, I will I will have the problem of no image optim on iOS. See, I really need a Mac for this unless someone uh, makes image optim iOS compatible. In that case, because... When you start, when you start like getting savings, this of, is how like, your brain works. When you start thinking of these new things, yes. like I, we are following you down this rabbit you hole. You are, yep, you are observing the process. Yeah. Um, basically, when you get say uh, image optim, when you when you give multiple images to image optim, it gives you a summary of all the megabytes or kilobytes uh, that you're saving by optimizing the files. Uh, so for the Twitter article, I was saving like twenty megabytes. And if you multiply that for, I don't know, let's just say for 10,000 page views. Uh, Steven, are you better at math than me? Nope. That's so a whole lot of megabytes. Th- that's well, a lot that of megabytes. And that's megabytes. actually a lot of uh, euros out of my pocket if I don't optimize my images. So I need Image Optim, especially for this you know, popular article that people are expecting, like the Twitter apps, the, the, the iPad apps that I posted today. I need those savings on the files. Uh, but if I want to do that on the iPad, that's a problem. And I like for the kind of mini review or the small news post that I can, that, that has a small image, I can live without image optim. But for this, for this kind of big reviews or big features that I have on the site, I need to optimize the files. And yeah, I guess I will, I will go with Steven's way and just use uh, screens. Also because Screens has a nice new clipboard mode. You know, Steven, you actually gave me a pretty good idea here. Well, that'll be $250. You can PayPal me. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting to hear, like, what holds you up 
from doing all your work on iOS. And this is not one that like I would have guessed. Well, I probably wouldn't have thought about it, but you know, something that is like seemingly like like that Mac that Mac app is super simple. Like you just drag an image onto it and it gives you output. But that because of behind the scenes stuff, it's not on iOS yet. But um, definitely keep us uh, keep us posted, and you know, maybe you could just hire Mike to to run Image Optima on his MacBook Pro for you. Yeah, you I'll do it. that. I'll do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys for for being my my therapists here um, for <laughs> image problems. You're welcome. This episode is also brought to you by Dev Mountain. Dev Mountain is a world-class coding school based in the mountains of Utah. They deliver the best learning experience you can find in one of the most beautiful places in the world. And do you know how this was confirmed to me, gentlemen, that this is one of the most beautiful places in the world? No? Kyle's, no. Kyle's the Grey sent me a picture of the mountains of Utah because I think he is based in Utah. And Oh, where's Kyle today? I don't know. Maybe he's in Utah. Dev Mountain <laughs> is opening up for a 12-week full-time iOS development course. This begins in the first week of February, and you can apply now. With only 25 slots available, it feels super quick, and it's just mere weeks away at this point. As a student, you will be assigned an individual mentor to help answer questions when you get stuck and make sure that you get the most out of your time. This level of care is super awesome and will make sure that you're going to get the most out of your course. Whether you're new to development or if you struggled with learning to code in the past, you are a perfect candidate for Dev Mountain. With a mentor and a structured learning environment, you're much more likely to code. February is such an amazing time to go to Utah. It is beautiful there all year round, but the mountains and snow at this time of year are fantastic. And the tuition fee includes free housing for full-time students, so you'll be able to enjoy the surroundings of students that will be coming from all over the world. You also have access to their campus 24 hours a day. Students at Dev Mountain actually build and finish iOS apps. M- many of their students that uh, complete the course have not one but two apps in the store by the end of it. This isn't theoretical learning. This is real learning. Listeners of Connected can get a special $250 off when you use the coupon code CONNECTED at checkout. With Dev Mountain, you'll have your own app in the store in only 12 weeks. Learn to code. It's time. Go to devmountain.com slash connected to find out more and use the code connected at checkout to get $250 off. Thank you so much to Dev Mountain for the support of this show. That's a, that's a cool sponsor. Yeah, I like Yeah, I just wanted to say that, that it sounds really awesome. Yeah, oh my God. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> let's, do, let's do the show from Utah for, for yeah. a few weeks. Yeah. So we're going to talk about workflow, which frankly seems like magic still. Um, so I know we've got some links where Federico talked about on his site, um, but Mike, you've been using it uh, a lot. Yes, I, I want to hear from Mike. Hello, everyone. <laughs> yeah, me too. My name is Mike Hurley, and uh, I'm I am a, today, I'm, a, I'm a workflow addict. Oh, yeah? So yeah. basically yeah. what happened was this app came out um, for me like at midnight last Wednesday, so basically just after we finished recording this show. Uh, and I knew... It, Federico had mentioned that it was coming out. I think the workflow guys had mentioned that it was coming out. Um, I was up until half past three in the morning (laughs) (laughs) talking to Federico, basically just over and over and over again saying, oh my God, this is amazing. I can't believe this is possible. Basically, Workflow is an app that allows you to create chains of actions in a visual style. So it's... A lot of people have, have said it's kind of like editorials, kind of like Launch Center Pro, it's kind of like Automator. But 
for me, it's like a flow chart. You're basically just creating a flow chart of actions and these actions perform a greater action in aggregate. So like, for example, a, a very simple workflow that I created, but it solves something that frustrates me. And this is, this is super vain. You know, when you use the front facing camera to take a selfie. Yeah. And it, no. it okay. Yes, you do, Stephen. you send me them. <laughs> and I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure why this happens. It doesn't need to be explained. Perfectly fine. Uh, the front facing camera flips the image. Because it's like a mirror. Yeah, because it's like a mirror. So it flips the image around. And I don't like that because it looks weird to me. Mm-hmm. So I set up a uh, a workflow. So basically, I just hit the workflow. Uh, it takes a picture of me, and then it flips the image around, and then I can share it. And it's just three little actions. I just dragged in take photo with front camera, take one photo, flip image horizontally, and share. So it's it's because for me to do that previously, I'll take a picture and I have to open an app like some weird image editing app and then I'd have to flip it around and then save it to the camera roll and then I'd have two images and then I could share it. But so it's just like this is the kind of stuff that I'm finding super interesting. I mean, and then it goes into like some of the crazy things that people have built. Like Federico created this time zone <laughs> converting thing. Oh, you know, I actually insane. got I actually got to fix that. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So I'll Thanks wait for you. for you until you share that. But it basically scrapes Google and does like a time zone mm-hmm. conversion. But you then- know what I we know what I put together last night. Um, basically, and then I, sorry, Mike, I'll let you continue. Uh, I'm just so excited about this one. Um, basically, in Safari, I always want to uh, get the link of an image. But Safari for iOS, when you when you tap and hold an image, it only gives you two options. One to copy the image and the other to save it. There's no option to copy the link to the image. So I put together this new workflow um, that uses a, a feature of, the, of, a, of an upcoming update. It basically looks at the, sele- the selection of the, of the web browser and there's a bunch of steps involved. And then it, it gives me a list of all image URLs found uh, found in the in the Safari selection, and I can choose a, choose one, and it, and it's copied to my clipboard, and I'm really excited about this one. But one of the biggest things about workflow that surprised me the most was the uh, the extension support. Mm-hmm. Like how you can make like any workflow. Basically, I've got one that adds. If I'm on a page in a browser or in TweetBot or anywhere I have a URL that's a podcast, I can open the workflow to add it to HuffDuffer. Like I don't have to copy the URL or anything. It's just all you hit run workflow and then I get the option to run whatever I want to. Give Mike me, is gasping. Give me that URL. <laughs> All right, I'll send it to you. Yeah, because as well, like I'm trying to put a couple of these in the show notes because people will just be like, like, like how I just reacted. Give me it. I want it. Yeah, and the, the sharing of of so like if someone builds something like Federico, I have several that you built and that you were tweeting about the other night, and it's really nice to like download because it just it's really easy to share. But what's frustrating is they don't sync between your devices, and so you yeah. can use AirDrop. So I like I'll make one on my phone or iPad and then AirDrop it to the other device, which is a little frustrating. Hopefully, I don't know if you know, but it would be nice if they had some sort of syncing. Yeah, I guess at one point they they will have to to add sync. I I don't I don't know more, Stephen. 
Um, like even like a manual sync like Launch Center Pro does, where it just like backs it up to, I think it yeah. goes to Dropbox, right? And then you just yeah. have to go to another device and load it on. Um, but like just when it, the uh, the fact that I use Chrome um, makes this super awesome because it means that I'm able to like hack together some of the other, like, so say for example, there's a, I want to take a web page and turn it into a PDF. Like that awesome screenshot app doesn't work in Chrome, but mm-hmm. now I can use a create PDF workflow and and do it instead. So I'm able to, in Chrome, I can just grab these things now and do interesting things with them. Where mm-hmm. Chrome was kind of, it kind of is like a second class citizen for extension support because a lot of these apps are made for Safari. So it's interesting how some of the things, like some of the new things you can do, and like just stuff like the f- like file downloaders. Yeah, that's a big one too. Like, or also, you know, um, when you mentioned the extension, something that's really nice is the way that um, workflow can kind of make, um, like, be a replacement for other apps extensions. Like, for instance, uh, the drafts uh, extension. Uh, it, it lets you capture text from any app. So, for instance, from Safari, I can capture the link to a web page into a draft. Uh, but I cannot really run an action at the moment of capturing text from the draft extension. Uh, so, with Workflow and using the URL scheme of the drafts app, I can, from Safari, we just one workflow, one chain of actions, I can send a link to drafts, which sends it somewhere else, and then I return to Safari, and I can run this from the from the share sheet. You know, there's no bookmarklet, there's no other weirdness with JavaScript and Python and that kind of stuff. So this is really nice. And there's two workflows that I, like, I'm using all the time. One is to open a, a Twitter link in the Twitter app, because when people send me, including you, Mike and and, and Stephen, when you send me links to tweets, uh, those are uh, like links that open in Safari in the Twitter website. And with workflow, I can just open the tweet in the in the Twitter app, which is really nice. And there's another workflow that I found on Reddit. There's a there's a subreddit called. Um, just workflow. It's full of people sharing workflows and suggestions. It's really nice. Um, some guy uh, made a workflow to um, to open the the there's this uh, web um, website called uh, azlyrics.com that basically to to uh, to look at content look at the search result for the currently playing song in google.com in in search results and find the 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 lyrics uh, web page and just open that directly uh, without seeing Safari first. It just opens the direct direct link to the web page for the song lyrics. It's it's really full of these kind of possibilities. You know, to there's a I mean I got a bunch of workflows that are really just demos, you know, just concepts. Like I'm not gonna use those workflows on a daily basis. But other workflows like you Mike, like I'm using these every day because they're actually and practically useful. And and it's still kind of incredible for me to see that Apple is doing also this big promotion for the app and that it's so popular. I mean, it, it, it still is in the top 10 of the general top paid apps for iPhone and iPad. And 
and Apple has, has chosen the app as editor's choice, uh, best new apps. It's uh, today the App Store Twitter account, uh, Twitter about workflow. So it's really kind of surreal for me to see like this interest in, in iOS automation. Uh, I think it's totally deserved uh, because it, I mean, it's it's such such an awesome app made by by a fantastic team and and I'm super like super excited about about the future I know they're they're planning big stuff and and I, and I'm so happy to see like people like Mike and I don't mean this in like like to no, disrespect no. you like you're not generally interested into you know python scripting or no. you know making these url actions you know that kind I of stuff. was always interested in in the url scheme stuff but it was it just went over my head yeah so, yeah that's what i meant it's like it was too much yeah. for you but it's like you I, I showed workflow to my girlfriend yesterday yeah and she was like oh this is really cool like i want to try this out so i immediately just gifted her the app right <laughs> it's like do yeah. it but like she because it makes sense and like because they do a great thing as well like they have like so many different actions that you can choose from but they do a good like job of not showing you them all unless you explicitly ask to see them all so like it shows you like suggested actions right and then you can back out and see all actions and I just think mm-hmm. like it just makes it it makes it easier. Um, I do like looking at the all actions list though. That's how I've gotten like inspiration to build new things because I can see some of the stuff that it can do. You know, like if I don't go mm-hmm. down a certain path. Um, but I, I mean, there, there are things that I would like to see. Like I'd like to see the gallery more frequently updated. Um, mm-hmm. I would love yeah. it if uh, like you know how drafts has like the community where like you can kind of see all of the. People, things that people submit to the Drafts community. I would love to see that for workflow as well. Like just a site where you can search, like I want to do this type of workflow. And then they're it shows kind of up. doing that on Reddit, but it's not it's not real uh evolved at this point. Right. You see, I'd I'd love to see that on their site. Like I'm sure these are all th- I mean, you know, not reinventing the wheel. Like I'm sure that they are thinking about this stuff, but like I say these things just because I think that this is such an important app. Um, this is genuinely, I think, one of the most important apps that I've seen in a long time. Like the things that this thing can do is, inc- I just think it's incredible. I'm completely blown away by it. And I I cannot believe it was built by like, by a couple of guys. They're like 18, aren't they? <laughs> and 20. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's and it, really nice guys as well. And, and it just blows me away. Well, I think back another second, you know, I think it works because it is visual and, yeah. you know, Automator on the Mac is is visual, but this is even in some ways easier to use an Automator on on OS ten. Oh, it definitely is. You know, like I'm, I was kind of the same, but with you, like I have Launch Center Pro and I use it for a couple of things, but I never really got super into it. But like Workflow, because it's Workflow rewards you for using it, right? It's 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 fun to build these things and put them together, and it has a because it's visual, you can kind of understand the flow a little bit better than just straight x callback url or things like launch center pro kind of on top of it so yeah I, I agree mike it's it's a big step forward in using ios for more complicated tasks now you know i know there was some uh you know this app was a long time coming and i'm, I'm hoping that that the app store review which we keep coming back to allows them to continue pushing it forward because it really is uh incredibly powerful just on day one and and as these things evolve and people figure out how to do more things it's only going to get better and better 
Yeah, I think that a, a, a big difference uh, with other automation apps is that workflow actually ties into native iOS features like you can quick look files or you can open web pages in Safari, you can pick documents. Like it's not just a launcher. It's it actually does stuff with files and you know yeah. apps like music. You know, it kinda it, it's built deeply into iOS. And I think that the really like the, the feature that most people are not uh, talking about is the, the the engine and the system that they built into into workflow, uh, which they call the content graph, uh, which is uh, basically what keeps the app uh, working when you with this visual system, and it's basically a, an engine that that is capable of uh, transforming actions to to output uh, certain types of content. Uh, depending on what what action you use next, so this is a sounds like a like a like a messy collection of words. Uh, but in practice, you can do stuff like I, I action one takes a takes a link to the web to a web page, and action two says says make PDF. And normally you would say, okay, if I want to make a PDF from a link, I guess you will just create a blank page. With the uh, with the link as text, uh, but actually because of the content graph, workflow is capable of guessing. Okay, if this is a link, you probably want me to fetch the contents of this link, and you probably want me to return HTML. And because you have make PDF as the next uh, next action, you want me to convert this HTML to PDF and give you a preview. So the power of the content graph, just being able to to turn certain types of content into different types of content, depending on like the actions that you choose, that's incredibly powerful for iOS automation. And if you've been spending hours into apps like editorial and drafts, do you know all the errors that you get with, oh, wrong input type, that, that kind of stuff, because you're trying to make the app do things that it's not supposed to do. And with workflow, you can do crazy things that are seemingly unrelated. You can do stuff like link to PDF or like if I take an image from the browser, either if I use Quick Look, uh, you show me a preview. But if I, I don't know, if I use Safari, then open the link, the image in a new tab. So it's this kind of flexible system. And for iOS automation, I think that's huge and also much more capable than Automator or Noise 10. Uh, so it's a, yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited. I like some, and I, I do it every now and then. Like I just open the app and, and just start, just start dragging things around and seeing what I can <laughs> what I can find, and 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 that ex- excites me because every time I open it, I I I kind of not every time, but like yeah, you know, every few times I open it and I, like I have an idea. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> what? How could I try and do something like this? I'm just in awe at this application. But let's talk more about some apps. Let's let's talk about Federico's apps of of uh, of the year. But before we do that. Let's thank one of my apps of the year, PDF Pen Scan Plus from Smile Software, helping support this episode. PDF Pen Scan Plus is the app for mobile scanning and OCR. It allows you to scan documents directly on your iPhone and iPad and use OCR on them to detect the text 
that is found in the image that you take. So you can take images of multiple images super quickly and you can do all the post-process imaging editing right on your iOS device. You can crop these images quickly and precisely. PDF Pen Scan Plus recognizes the edges of your images, making sure you don't miss anything important. And version 1.5 now takes advantage of image optimization, making sure your images are crystal clear. So PDF Pen Scan Plus can help you blast through stacks of documents or receipts in one go. You can export these documents all at once, making uh, batch scanning easier than ever. So maybe you leave it to the end of the month to do your expenses. So you can scan all of your images in. You can see, oh, I've got all these receipts. Let me go beep, 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 beep. We've got your receipts. And then you can automatically upload them to Dropbox or iCloud Drive for storing and availability on the Mac and other iOS devices. PDF Pen Scan Plus's OCR uh, scanning also takes the text of your documents, which you can copy and paste into another app for easy searching later or to use somewhere else, which is really, really cool. PDF Pen Scan Plus is a universal iOS app. It works on your iPhone and your iPad, and it's available right now on the App Store. You can learn more by going to smilesoftware.com slash connected. Thank you so much to Smile for their continued support of this show. The year is over and the Federico has spoken. Yeah, it's it's become an annual tradition. Uh, It's been four years now that that I do this kind of recap. Mike, do you want to ask me questions? What do you want to talk about? Of course. Um, I'm, I'm happy to answer all your questions and concerns. So uh, what we're talking... sound like this is questions and concerns. It reminds me of uh, underscore David Smith. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, no one could sound just like underscore, but I guess you can use his words. Um, what we're talking about is Federico Vitici's must-have iPad apps for 2014. So Federico mentioned every year he does this, he rounds up um, the apps that have come out in the year or the things that he's using this year. And uh, what I'm kind of interested in, because you know, people can go, they can go to our show notes, relay.fm slash connected slash 18, they can find the link to Max Stories and read the piece. But I have a couple of things that I'm interested in. So... Um, in 2014, what have the apps that have been released enabled you to do that you've not been able to do before? Like, what changes have been made to make your iPad even better to work on? So, two big changes were workflow, which we just talked about. It's uh, it speeds up a lot of uh, a lot of tasks that I do every day. And the other big change was uh, Editorial 1.1, which came out in May. Um, I I did a big review of the update and Mac stories also. Uh, that was a that was a big change, you know. Uh, it added a bunch of uh, new features uh, for. Uh, I have uh, like hundreds of workflows um, in editorial for text editing and images. Just being able to prepare blog posts on the iPad, that was a big change. In general, I think that with iOS eight, so starting these, uh, especially since August. When I when I got all the all all the betas that I covered on Mac stories in September, I started seeing this big change for extensions, you know, uh, action extensions, share extensions, today widgets. Not so much with the keyboards. I I don't do much uh, keyboard switching except for uh, emoji plus plus, and sometimes clips. Um, extensions were huge uh, for me. You know, I I. I was super happy to drop all the all the Python scripts, all the um, JavaScript uh, bookmarklets in the, in Safari to use extensions, which are much much better than before. 
And in terms of a personal uh, use of, of the iPad, uh, I think that Todoist uh, was another big change. Uh, we talked about this before, moving away from, from Reminders and iCloud and using Todoist. Uh, that, that was a big change for me. Um, and Clips, which is uh, this clipboard manager from the same um, developers of a dispatch and email client for iPhone. I, I didn't really use uh, clipboard managers on before iOS 8 because they didn't have a, uh, an easy enough way to get uh, to copy stuff into into the into into the, the their uh, containers I would guess. And there's still no real clipboard manager for iOS like it can have on OS 10 with Alfred and uh, clip menu and other similar apps launch bar um, there's no real clipper manager on iOS and so clips is a nice uh, in-between solution uh, you know because it's, it uses uh, the widget and the extensions so in general I think looking uh, doing a comparison right uh, the way that I work on the iPad in in December 2014 and compared to last year I think that I'm much faster um, Probably the, the basic workflow is not much different because it's still heavily based on Safari, editorial, and Launchpad Pro and drafts. Um, but I think I'm faster. Like, like I, I can do, I wouldn't say double the work, but I can save several minutes more thanks to extensions and uh, thanks to workflow and all these uh, more capable tools and, and just faster and more uh, reliable ways to move information around, to move images around. Uh, not so much for Image Optim, um, to move documents around. <laughs> uh, that I, I'm generally faster. And, and then there's the brand new stuff. Uh, like that I, some of, some of that, that those apps I, I didn't mention uh, in, in the article because I'm still testing them. I'm not sure whether they'll become uh, like apps that I use every day. Uh, there's the new stuff like being able to convert currencies in Safari using stacks or uh, some, new, some new apps and updates that are coming out. Uh, there's a big update to Pythonista, which uh, I don't know when it'll come out. Um, there's a really some new stuff that, I, that that it's coming down the road for iOS 8. And and I think that until next WWDC, we'll, we'll keep seeing these sort of new ideas, right? And so today, I, I think I'm still changing things, like how I do stuff. I will probably rewrite for the, for, again, all the, the, the image workflow that I use. And but yes, in general, I think I'm much faster, and I think that's good news because, it, uh, like, I can concentrate on other stuff, like um, I can do more show notes for the podcasts, or I can do more research, or I can do more reading because it doesn't take me half an hour just to put together a blog post for my stories. You know, mm -hmm. uh, that that that's a that's a saving time is is a much much welcome <laughs> change. Obviously, this year you've moved from the Mini to the iPad Air 2. Mm -hmm. Has this changed yeah. anything in a significant way? Mm. Do you find well, you work better with the Air 2 than the Mini? In hindsight, I think, it, uh, I think uh, uh, yeah, I think it, I, it's probably because my eyesight is, is getting worse. Um, I think I'm more comfortable with the with the Air 2, but only because they managed to make it so thin and light. Uh, the old, uh, the original iPad Air was too heavy and thick for me. Um, 
this one I think it, it strikes a great balance between the mini and, and the and the and the bigger form factor. So I think it was a great move, and I'm expecting that the the higher um, capacity of a uh, RAM and 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 the CPU will will like there will be apps re that really take advantage of that sort of stuff. Um, I'm I'm seeing that today with the the fact that Safari can keep more tabs in memory, for example, compared to the Mini. So that's a, that's a nice change. Uh, but I still have to use apps that really take the hardware to the extreme. You know that, that you can that the apps that can make you go, okay, yeah, I can see why. I need more RAM and more CPU. Today, I see like a small glimpse of that kind of process. Like uh, there's more tabs in Safari, or for for example, the other day I I was using this. Uh, I was trying this uh, service called Rev.com. It's uh, it's a an audio transcription service that I wanted to try out. Basically, you record uh, an audio file, you send this audio file to this company using an iOS app, and they they give they give text back to you. Uh, they transcribe the audio for you. Uh, so they promote this kind of service as uh, being a nice uh, a nice uh, you know a nice workflow for like students or people who, who attend conferences and they want uh, to transcribe audio. So what I did was um, using workflow, I downloaded the mp3 file of, um, of an episode of um, David Smith's uh, podcast, um, Developing Perspective. I uh, downloaded this other app called, uh, uh, let me just take my iPad. Uh, it's, an audio, it's an audio editor for iOS, which I found on the App Store using search. So that was a, that was a, a new one for huh. me. Uh, it is called uh, Hokusai. It, I think it's Japanese. Oh my word! Um, yeah, it's, it, so it let me uh, it let me edit the MP3, and I noticed that when I exported the MP3 file, uh, it was really fast, like faster than 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 I than I than I think it would have been on the on the on the old hardware. Like I could tell that something was different, and there was an like a nice surprise. And by the way, the, the ref.com transcription was really, really like accurate. Like just a couple of spelling mistakes. Uh, I, I kind of wanted to, to test, to stress test them uh, by giving them uh, an episode about WatchKit. They mostly got it right because David was using a lot of technical terms. But, but something that I found amusing is that instead of transcribing watch kit, <laughs> they transcribed watch kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was kind of weird. It's close. Uh, it's close. Cl really close. Uh, but yes, um, I think the, the, the hardware change will be more notable uh, down the road. At least I hope so. I, uh, you know, otherwise yeah. it's wasted money. <laughs> <laughs> you should have gotten the gold one. I think it runs faster. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my like, I, I sit here listening to this. I read your article. I, I've seen some of this in my own life. Like, I went from the Air back to the Retina Mini, and I prefer the size. I think, but for me, like, what holds up my work on iOS is sort of like fundamental issues that software can only go so far in addressing. Like, yes, iOS 8 and things like Workflow in particular and editorial, like, I can do a lot of the stuff, like Text Expander to having a keyboard. Like, I can do a lot of stuff I do on my Mac, on my iPad now, but it's sort of like the fundamental things of 
like when I write, I like a lot of browser tabs open and I, sometimes I have multiple text documents and I like to see it all at once. And, and I'm so much slower at typing on the iPad than I am on the Mac. And so there's still some like fundamental things that may never change about the device itself that still have me reaching for like a MacBook Pro with a keyboard where I can have all these windows open. And and maybe that's a shift that I just haven't made mentally yet, uh, especially with some of the like multiple apps at a time thing. But it, it's still, I still feel like, yeah, this stuff is great. And like, it does address a lot of issues, but there's some like fundamental, like step one problems that I still have with, you know, porting a lot of my work to the tablet. I don't know. I mean, for me, like, I find that I read something like this. I read these articles that Federico writes or just listen to him talk, and, and I want to be able to work like this. You know? Like, I mm. hear it, and I'm like, I want to be able to use the iPad to do work in this way. Like, I, it just... Mm. I, I just... I want to be more like you, Federico. I don't know what I don't know what to <laughs> Thank say. Thank you. That's that's really an honor, Mike. So um, much so I, that I read your article earlier, and I grabbed my iPad Mini and I reorganized the home screen. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I, I'm happy to to hear that because it means that the article at least has a, some kind of purpose. Um, I think it took me a lot of time to to say, okay, I want to make sure that if one day um, I'm you know, I'm I'm on an island, and I for some reason the island only lets me use an iPad. Uh, I don't know why would that ever happen, but just follow my argument. If I'm in the position where I cannot use a MacBook, I need to make sure that I don't drop all my work for the site. I need to be able to continue to work and to do the same uh, work at the same degree of quality. You know, like. Readers shouldn't be able to tell whether that's Federico writing at a Mac and when, okay, yeah, that's Federico on an iPad because the article is worse. You know, I don't want that kind of a reader experience. So it took me a lot of time to, and especially a lot of money, to browse the App Store and try many, many apps because they, they I, I tend to buy uh, all the apps that I use for work that I don't necessarily even review for, for Mac stories because I just need them personally. And it took me a lot of time to, coming from the Mac where I was used to stuff like Alfred or Keyboard Maestro, uh, you know, what do I do on iOS now? And and it was time consuming and, and it was uh, tiring from uh, every time I needed to set up an app from scratch, uh, which was, you know, it's not a fun experience. But now I can see, I think I can see the benefit of that uh, because when I, when, I, when I work on my iPad, I'm completely comfortable. And when I'm at my Mac, uh, now I, I don't keep up with my, with my iOS workflows on my Mac. And I'm not sure what to do anymore when I'm on a MacBook because there's no editorial, there's no clips, there's no um, uh, workflow on my MacBook. And so I'm not exactly exactly sure how and if I want to, and if I want to, uh, you know, rebuild all my workflows on on the Mac, and I, I think that to to conclude my my what I what I want to do, if people find this kind of a, uh, I wouldn't say mission, you know, but uh, maybe a, a like 
a way of doing things. If people find this enjoyable and, and if people like you, Mike, can 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 take some inspiration out of these kind of articles, um, I, I think it's useful, you know, to, to write this kind of stuff on Mac stories because I, I like it. You know, I, I, I don't want to like, I actually enjoy sh- uh, showing people how stuff can be done on iOS and I enjoy talking to you and showing you new apps and new tips. You know, I actually... Uh, take a lot of enjoyment out of that. Uh, and I think that maybe also more people can say, hey, maybe maybe I can be more, I can have this kind of freedom to do work uh, anywhere I want because I can just take my iPad with me or my iPhone even. Um, and, and I think that's powerful, right? Being able to, being able to do work anywhere. Uh, being able, just being able to, to, or maybe not just necessarily do work anywhere because I don't want people to work all the time, but just knowing that that if something happens and you cannot be at home and use a computer, you can still do serious stuff on iOS. That's the... Oh, no, it makes, would, makes a ton of I sense. I would sum up. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> no, I think, you know, this has obviously been a topic since day one in our show because it's been a topic for you for a long time. And sometimes people are like, well, you know, I think people look at it as kind of a you're doing it for like weird reasons, but like like what you just said is really true that you know there are situations where you can't have a Mac or like you just have your tablet because you're in between things and it's very helpful like to you know you might not be able to do a hundred percent of what you can do on the Mac, but the more you can do like the more freedom you have to sort of like live your life without being tied to you know any more hardware than you than you need to be I think that's a perfectly valid reason. I think it's a, va- a reason that like the iPad exists. You look at Apple's marketing for it and you know, we didn't talk about the new Christmas ad, but like, you know, it's bouncing like in that ad bouncing between the Mac and the iPad doing all these things mm-hmm. and, and it being a, a, not so much about the device that's in front of you, but about the work that's in front of you and what you're trying to accomplish. And that is exactly. ultimately more important than yes. like these things are just tools. Like they're fancy screwdrivers. That's all they are. And you know, making it sing, making it do the things that you need it to do. Like anyone who looks at that with an eyebrow raised is crazy to me. Yeah, thank you for for saying that because uh, one last uh, thought that every time I, like I'm on my Twitter account, I show a lot of screenshots of uh, kind of the workflows that I use uh, for articles and just uh, on the iPad in general. And it's... uh, uh, every time I, I I share that kind of, a, hey, I, I'm working on this kind of workflow or, or I managed to, to do this or thanks to this other person for, for the suggestion, I get the comment that says with, with a winky face at the end, hey, why don't you just use a Mac? Yeah, yeah, I know. I can use a Mac. You know, I have a MacBook right now. Um, it's oh, sort of. <laughs> most of a MacBook. Sort of. Most of the MacBook, <laughs> at least. Uh, what's left of the MacBook. I have oh. a Mac, and I'm not saying this to, like, I'm not a, it doesn't, it doesn't make me upset, right? I mean, there's a, there's a much, much worse stuff in, in the world that, that's kind of comments. <laughs> no, it, come it doesn't on. make me, it, yeah, I mean, I'm not even upset at Twitter scanning apps, but that's another topic. Um, so it doesn't make me upset, but it's uh, like, I think an attitude that that I don't like. Like, why can't you understand why would some people have the, like, some people, I think, like me, want to know that, that if they cannot be uh, at a desk every day, they can still 
be in touch with people or just being able to do work. Um, because maybe work gets, gets your mind off things or maybe because you want to just be able to continue your stuff uh, anywhere you are. And I think that part of the problem here is that, especially when you, when you, uh, when you talk to people who have made a serious investment in getting an expensive Mac or a, like an iMac or a Mac Pro, and then you say, yeah, I don't need a, I don't need a Mac, I need an iPad. And when you, when you, you don't necessarily attack another person's investment, but when you put that in question, they get all defensive. So I don't want to turn this into analog, uh, Mike. So I, I won't steal your show. Um, but, but I think that there's a, always a, especially in this niche, right? We're talking about a small community, really. But when you, when, you, when you say, I don't need a Mac, I can do all my stuff on iOS. And you get the Mac people saying, oh, you're crazy. Why wouldn't you? And you get the winky face at the end of a tweet and you get all the sarcastic <laughs> notes, you know? And you get all the smiles and the creepy messages. I don't know why they put winky faces at the end. Uh, and they say, hey, use a Mac with a winky face. What's the winky face for? Uh, so you get all these messages, and I'm like, why wouldn't you just, I'm not saying give it a chance, but just try to understand a different position, you know? Because I totally understand why people would say, no, I need a Mac. Like someone like Mike, who has a, like a recording studio, uh, or, you know, has all the fancy hardware to, to make people sound better. Uh, like I totally understand why Mike needs a Mac. I totally understand why someone like Marco needs a Mac, because he needs to program, and because there's stuff on iOS that you cannot do. Like... It's not possible. Like, it's, there's no development program on the iPad that lets you make apps. So I totally get it. But it's just when you... Yeah, I think it, we, would, um, we would save a lot of time without being sarcastic and just being more... Um, be a, being able to accept more other people's point of views, which I realize it's an extremely obvious statement. Uh, so, but when it comes to this small audience, you know, people who work on iOS and the Mac, which is like less than 1% of the world's population, uh, I think it'll be more useful. You know, just in general thought because of the winky face. No more winky faces. No, it's I like winky faces, just not with the winky faces combined with an otherwise somewhat angry statement. Because can you imagine people like talking to you with an with an upset tone and then they do a wink? Like that would be super <laughs> <creepy>. <laughs> Hey you wink. <laughs> you know? That's that's what I mean. Yeah. Steven, do you wanna tell us how much you love your pebble, winky face? <laughs> so I heard a thing, it was going to be in the show last week, but we ran out of time, about sort of using the pebble in the real world. And we spoke about it with you, Mike, when you started wearing one uh, when you had a day job. And like if, if people notice it in meetings or like if it's vibrating or lighting up, do people like, does it catch people's eye? Do they ask about it? And uh, I've had a couple experiences where it was noticed. And not only because like the vibrate motor was kind of rattly or the screen lit up in a meeting, but... I would look at it and then, you know, it's kind of perceived at least here. If you look at your watch, like that can be seen as rude. And uh, so I wrote a little bit about that and uh, kind of the short version of it is, is that I think, and maybe it's like me being in like meetings with clients and stuff. Like we haven't quite like arrived as a culture, at least in my little corner of culture like where looking at your watch or having a watch is doing things is considered normal. And I kind of equate it to like 
I was a very early iPhone adopter. And like you pull your iPhone out and there's not that many iPhones around, like it draws attention and not necessarily in the, Hey, I'm going to mug you in your car type way, but you know, people want to see it. People have questions and, and I've seen a little bit of that with the, with the pebble. And so uh, for, I ran it for a couple of weeks, just out of the box. And then Mike on your suggestion, I turned the vibrate motor off, which is really interesting because then when my phone would vibrate, I would like expect it on my wrist or like go to look at my wrist, even after only like two weeks of wearing it. Uh, it rewired my brain very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then I had a, like a fancy event I had to go to. So I took it off and put my regular watch back on because the plastic pebble lease is pretty ugly in my opinion. And this, it happened. Like my phone went off in my pocket and I looked at my wrist and it's like my mechanical, like regular watch. <laughs> I was like, oh, this watch doesn't know about TweetBot. Like it's just a thing. And so it was interesting to me how quickly I became like used to it. And I don't know about you, Mike, like if you're not wearing yours and your phone goes off, do you look at your wrist? Like if yeah. you're just around the house and haven't put it on? Yeah, it drives me crazy. I, ha- I hate it when, my, when, I eat, when my pebble runs out of battery. Yeah, which I, I will say at least like if you turn it off at night, the battery life was actually pretty good, um, better than I had anticipated. So I've kind of come to the end of my Pebble experiment, and I kind of have two points. I want to see what you guys think. Um, one, like the Pebble itself as a device you can go out and buy, like it's still Gen 1, it's kind of clunky. It doesn't integrate really well, which we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. And I kind of worry about Pebble like with Android Wear and the Apple Watch coming. There's a link uh, on Pebble's blog. They announced um, this week that they are, they're hooking into Android Wear. So Android, like, I don't, I think really quite, I need to read more, but I think the gist of it is, is that they can do interactive notifications on the Pebble to a degree, like Android Wear does on things like the the Moto 360 and the uh, the LG G Watch, which, or whichever one, Mike, you own. Um, yeah, so what it, what it's allowing you to do is when you get an email, instead of just like dismissing the notification, you can now take some sort of action on it, like open on the phone, um, archive it, or you can decline things. Like you're able to do more, uh, like some of the stuff where apps use... Um, the Android Wear like SDK to do some more extended functionality, Pebble is now hooking into that, which is it's interesting. Yeah, and I think like that sort of thing is going to be key to them surviving, like integrated products coming onto the market. And my guess is that they're not going to be able to do that on iOS, that whatever mechanisms are being used, you know, Apple's doing this not via like Bluetooth notifications, but through app extensions where you are uh, projecting an extension onto the watch. And if you hit play on your podcast player on your watch, like that's going back to the device itself in sort of uh, its own private way. And so I don't think they're going to be able to do that level of integration uh, on the iOS side of things. No like them adopting Android Wear stuff, like, you know, there's a question in the chat room, do you use your, your phone less because of the watch? Like really the answer is no, because you still have to pull your phone out to deal with anything. You can see what's there and you can dismiss it. But if I got to go to reply to a text message or, you know, anything like that, I'm still pulling my phone out of my pocket. I think like, so overall like that, I, I worry for Pebble, especially in the iOS camp, like what's going to happen when Apple moves in. Um, 
I hope that they can year. become a really credible Android Wear maker because, like, you know, I'm looking through this blog post now, and they're basically saying, notification wise and app wise, if you can do it on Android Wear, you can do it on Pebble now. So, if that is the case, like, that is pretty cool, and it because what makes it different is like you know if we say you've got like a, a week long battery life, uh, and if that's important to you, you won't be able to get another smartwatch that can that can do that. This the Pebble right. Pebble becomes the de facto standard, and really, I mean, I, I would I, they need to have like a version three come out quite soon. You know, so we had like the original one. We had the steel. We need, we need, we need something else. Maybe a new form factor, a, a tighter design, because these guys, in theory, should have a head start or should have had a head start against some of these other companies that are trying to do this stuff because they've been making these things for a couple of years. You know, so like Pebble should be able to make, in theory, like in my opinion, a a better watch than like Asus can because. Pebble's whole business is making watches. Like, that is their business. Yeah, but I think it's one of those things where the software will trump. Like, if, yeah, I'm if the Apple the Watch, you know, yeah. yeah, well, that's like the whole, you can't do that. Like, it's, it's important. Um, so I don't know. Like, I don't know. My, my guess is I'm at online with you. I think they'll be fine on Android if they can, if they can stick. Uh, I think the future for the Pebble on iOS is, is darker. Um, but my my like idea of buying this thing a month ago was are wrist notifications useful? And the answer I think is yes. It's their frustrations with it, which I've voiced, uh, which you've voiced as well. But the idea that I can just very quickly look at something, and especially like in the car, the Pebble is great. Like I can just you know my my hands are already up on the wheel, and I can just turn my wrist over and like not be tempted to look at my phone. And I know before you write in, I probably shouldn't have even been doing the pebble in the car, but whatever, that's how life is. So I think I think there's a lot of promise in this area of having something that is sort of a satellite to your phone. I don't think the pebble is the ultimate answer, um, but I do think there are some cultural things that have to catch up, and I think things will. You know, I think there'll be a point where in a year, two years, three years, as more people are wearing, you know, the Apple Watch or Android Wear devices or even the pebble that it's that stigma of, you know, hey, I'm looking at my watch in a meeting. Am I being rude? Am I telling you, you know, subconsciously that I'm out of time? That will wear off. And I think it sort of has to, and and to a degree for this to be like accepted, you know, now, even now it's rude to like pull your phone out or I feel it's rude to like pull your phone out when you're having a one-on-one conversation with somebody but, you know, it's not uncommon for me to be in a meeting and everyone has their iPhones out on the on the table to just kind of keep a keep a, a half eye on it. So I think we'll get there as a as a human race. But it's, you know, I'm I will say I'm more excited about the Apple Watch now than I was before wearing a Pebble because I've I've seen sort of that promise of hey, you know, we can put things a glance away and my frustration of not being able to interact with those things will be dealt with with the Apple watch. Um, and so I, I would say that it's, I'm probably more likely to jump in on generation one than I would have been without this little experiment. That mirrors a lot of my thoughts, although I like my pebble enough to continue to wear it every day. Yeah. I'm shipping mine back tomorrow. <laughs> Poor pebble. 
really sad That's all right. conclusion. Poor Pebble. All right, I think that's about it for this week's episode of Connected. If you'd like to find the show notes for this week, you can maybe go back to the start and listen to my long uh, explanation. Otherwise, just go to relay.fm slash connected slash 18. If you'd like to find us on the internet, there's a few ways you can do that. I am at iMike on Twitter, I-M-Y-K-E, at Federico. (laughs) Federico is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I. And Stephen is at ISMH on Twitter, uh, Federico writes the fantastic maxstories.net and Stephen Hackett writes at the lovely 512pixels.net. We'll be back next week with another episode of Connected. Until then, thanks to our sponsors. Uh, <laughs> and <coughs> Linda, Dev Mountain, and Smile will be back. Bye bye. Arrivederci. Adios. <laughs>